This is the message from Connection Community Church for Sunday, October 10th, 2010. Elijah, God prepares. So today we begin a three-part series on the prophet Elijah. Our focus this morning will be on how God prepares, prepares, how God prepared Elijah, and how God prepares us. Well, good morning, Connection Church. My name is Carrie Jones. I'm Alan Jones. And we are two sinners who have been saved by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with us, please? God, we thank you for today. We thank you for loving us even when we might turn away from that. We thank you for the challenges and the opportunities that you place in our lives. Help us learn from Elijah. Help us gain a lesson from Elijah as we dig into your word found in Scripture. And we thank you that uh, we can move from where we are to where you want us to be by your grace. We thank you and praise you this day and all days. And all of Connection Church said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so let's jump right in. In the book of 1 Kings, we read of the prophet Elijah, and we see how God is preparing him for the work that God has in store for him, how God is preparing him to be a man of God. Now, we don't know a lot about Elijah. He just kind of shows up there in chapter 17. We're told he's a Tishbite, and uh, that's because he's from Tishbe in Gilead. Other than that, we're not given any background on him, other than that he's living during the reign of King Ahab in the northern kingdom of Israel. Now, prior to Ahab, there were six kings over a 125-year period. These kings were all bad. They were all bad, Scripture tells us. In fact, they were evil. As they allowed, they promoted They followed the religious practices that were very far from God. Now we are told in 1 Kings chapter 16 that this King Ahab, who was the king who was reigning during the time of Elijah, that he did more evil in the sight of the Lord than all of those who had gone before him. So we know now that this is really, really bad. And if this isn't bad enough, we're also told in Scripture that he was married to Jezebel. Now, you might not know Jezebel's story, but we just know that when we hear that name Jezebel, ding, 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 there's usually a problem. Jezebel was known as the most wicked woman of all time. So we have King Ahab and we have Jezebel. What a pair. Okay, so these kings who had preceded and included Ahab and many of their followers worshiped the God of Baal the God, and also the God of Asher. We've talked about them in the past. These were gods who were popular 
with the other peoples in the, living in that area. And, and this is an idea of how bad these things were. These, uh, these uh, people that worship these gods would sacrifice at times their own children to these gods. Or here's one for you. They would engage in sexual activity with temple prostitutes, calling it worship. And the thing is, those weren't the worst things that they did. That's just the tip of the iceberg. They did heinous and horrible things. And then Elijah enters the scene. Now, Elijah's very name expresses his, mi- his mission. Elijah's name means, my God is Lord. My God is Lord. And so on one side, we have my God is Lord, Elijah, and we have King Ahab, the most wicked, who follows the gods, little g-gods, Baal and Asherah. On the, I mean, can you see the picture here? Okay, let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now Elijah the Tishbite from Tishba in Gilead said to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve... There will be neither rain, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. So God is getting pretty serious here. These people live on the land. They depend on what the land produces. If there's no rain, there's no water, it doesn't produce vegetation. That not only, not only kills the crops, but also that kills the livestock because the livestock have to eat the plants. You get it? It's a, there's nothing going to go on here. And, uh, and so this not having rain is going to threaten their very existence. And here's the whole real irony of the whole thing. This God of Baal is the God of storm and rain. So what God is saying here is basically, okay, let's see what your God of storm and rain, Baal, does when I have determined that there won't be any rain until my prophet Elijah gives the word. You know, they could pray till they're blue in the face to this God of Baal, but they're not going to get any rain, are they? Until Elijah gives the word as prompted by God. It's, a, it's kind of an in-your-face to these worshipers of these false gods by the God of Israel. As Pastor Craig Groeschel shares, false gods promise what only the true God can provide. Say it with me, will you? False gods promise what only the true God can provide. Okay, so let's continue on. Uh, We're picking it up at verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, and hide in the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, And I have ordered the ravens to supply you with food there. See, what's happening here is that the Lord removes Elijah from the scene to protect him as we see to hide. Why is Elijah hiding? There must be something big going on that he's got to hide from. And the Lord is using this time of removal as a time of preparation. And this particular preparation involves painful isolation. Painful isolation. God removes Elijah and takes him to a place of solitude. He's all alone. Now often in scripture, God takes the person to the desert to prepare him for something. We see this with Moses. 
we also see that God took Jesus to the desert to prepare him. And so God takes Elijah to the Kareth Ravine. The Kareth Ravine, also known as the Wadi Cherith in some Bible translations, is it's east of the Jordan River. And so God is telling Elijah to leave, well, the promised land, that's where he's living, and to go to the same side of the river that the Hebrews were on before they crossed into the promised land. Symbolically and literally, Elijah is leaving what is comfortable, what is familiar, what has, is and has been safe, and he's told to go to a place that's far removed, a place that is isolated, a place where he will be all alone. It will be difficult, maybe even painful, to be there. And um, God takes him to this place on the other side of the, of the river from the promised land in order to prepare him. When God takes a person to this place of, of painful isolation, it oftentimes is to break them, to remold them into God's image. You know, an example might be in, in the world that we live in, like if you're on a sports team and they're working you, working you, working you, so that, you know, you end up following what the coach says, or, or how about if you're in the service? Now, I know, you know, Todd, was boot camp just wonderful? It was was fun, it a right? picnic? No. Yeah, fantastic. Keep party that time. The party time. You know. Wait, did you come out of boot camp exactly as you went in? There's the point. And I'll bet you came out following orders. <laughs> and that's the point. You see, when we're in this place where, you know, we get broken down, it's to become obedient. And so, for Elijah, this place in the Kareth Ravine is that place where God deals with him, where God prepares him. Perhaps God has taken you to the Kareth Ravine at some time in your life. Maybe he's got you there right now. And maybe you're feeling kind of isolated. You're feeling this uh, painful isolation, or you want to flip that, some isolated pain. And, and, and maybe you're not even realizing that, that God's preparing you for something. Maybe you're just thinking things are more challenging than usual, that you're being tested way past your normal patience point. Uh, that You know God won't give you more than you can handle, but <clears throat> you're thinking, God, why do you have such a high opinion of me right now? Yeah. Maybe God's preparing you, but God hasn't told you yet what for. And maybe God hasn't even let you know that he's in the preparation uh, program with you. Oftentimes, when God prepares us, it, and it seems like we're given more than we can handle, that is true. We are given more than we can handle on our own. More than we can handle on our own strength, on our own resources, on our own knowledge. Because quite honestly, we really can't handle anything from the simplest thing to the most complex challenge without God. We cannot handle anything. You see, God's purpose to put us in these places, the careth ravines of our lives, are to prepare us. And oftentimes it's to make us have a total dependency. We have this isolation first, and then this total dependency on God. Total dependency on God. That's, that's the next part of Elijah's preparation. Here's what the scripture tells us. This is verse 5 and 6. 
So he, um, Elijah, did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine east of the Jordan, and he stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Elijah is absolutely and totally dependent on God here. He's far removed from family, from friends, from community, from civilization. No Acme, no Wawa, no McDonald's. No Starbucks. No, not even a Starbucks. He's isolated. He is absolutely on his own, and he is absolutely and totally dependent on God. And the beauty is this. He is dependent on God, and God delivers. God provides. God gives him exactly what he needs. God does provide exactly what Elijah needs. The raven. The raven brings bread and meat daily. In fact, the raven brings it twice a day. Who gets meat twice a day in that day and time? And so even extravagantly, Elijah is provided for. Now, on the other hand, God doles it out every day and even every meal. Elijah was totally dependent on God for his nourishment. And so God uses not only the Kareth Ravine to prepare us, but he also puts us in positions of total dependence. Maybe you've been there at one time or another. Maybe you're there right now. It usually happens when we lose something. Maybe you feel dependent on God because you've lost something. Maybe you've lost your job. That's happening to a lot of people. Maybe you've lost your job, and and out of that, maybe you've lost your nest egg. Maybe you've lost your life savings. Maybe you've even lost a retirement plan that you were counting on. Maybe you're dependent on God because you've lost your health or you're in the process of losing your health. Or maybe someone close to you has lost their health. Maybe you're totally dependent on God because you've lost someone close to you. Or maybe you've lost a relationship that was close to you. Maybe a friend. Maybe a family member. Maybe even a spouse. And the truth is, We are always totally dependent on God. Always. Oh, you know, oftentimes we don't realize it because we set up this delusional little bubble for us to live in where we're the gods of our own lives and and we call the shots. You know, we think we can take care of our, our own needs. We don't need anybody. We don't need God. And it's oftentimes when we end up losing everything that we're able to clearly see and be dependent on God. Once our hands are empty, we're open to receive the grace, the love, whatever God has in store for us when God first thought of us. Maybe you're in the midst of some kind of loss right now. And maybe you're having trouble seeing God in the midst of that. And that's, that's not unusual. Oftentimes, it's hard for us to see God in the midst when we're in, in, in the process of loss. Maybe it feels like God has even abandoned you. Our hope is that you're somehow able to see it as an opportunity. 
But somehow God's giving you an opportunity, the opportunity to fully understand that you and I, that we, each and every one of us, is always totally dependent on God, even when everything's peachy. Even when we think we're getting it done, we're absolutely dependent on God. And it's these times when we have absolutely nowhere else to turn that it really hits us how dependent on God we are. And that perhaps He's using this time to prepare us for some incredible kingdom work that He has in store. And, and He uses this time at times to mold, to shape, to, to, to put us in, in His image, to, to mold us into the men and women of God that He calls us to be. Let's check back into this story, and I'm picking up with verse 7 of 1 Kings 17. Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath of Sidon and stay there. I have commanded a widow in that place to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. Funny uh, thing about how God prepares us. He doesn't always spell out his reasons for what he does. In fact, rarely does God fully spell out his reasons. Sometimes he just tells us to go, and he expects us to go. Like what happened here to Elijah after he'd been uh, in the Kareth Ravine for quite some time, according to Scripture. I'm sure, I'm sure he'd almost gone kind of go, okay, let's see, it's 8, eight o'clock, uh, time for my breakfast meat and bread, come on. Oh, it's 5.30, time for my dinner. Brook, water, you know, it was kind of, he gave, it was coming every day. But then the brook dried up. No water, that's not a good thing. God calls him to move, in fact, tells him where to go to this widow who's going to supply him with some food. He doesn't tell him why. I mean, this place is far away, this Zarephath of Sidon. That's a pretty good hike. God, why do I got to go so far? We don't read him, uh, see him say that. I'm sure he thought I would have. Why so far? He wasn't going to get an answer. Just go. 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 You know, it's uh, without an explanation. For many of us, that's a lot to expect, isn't it? Because we want God to always tell us why. And yet, that is not how God works much of the time. God does not tell us the outcome in the same sentence that he tells us to go or do. God wants our obedience. And so, when God calls us to make a change, in faith, we step out. But we have a challenge with that because we do like to know. We like to know how. We like to know why. We like to know where. And the truth is is that God does not supply us with that information most of the time. Hmm. It's kind of like this. How many of you have seen the movie The Karate Kid? Some of you? How many saw the original? Because I haven't gotten to the... Okay, good. I haven't gotten to the new one yet. I told somebody earlier they're going to let me borrow it because I need to come up to speed here. But anyway, remember the karate kid, Daniel-san, right? And he, and he, got, and he wants to learn how to, uh, the martial art of karate, right? Or karate, however you want to pronounce it, karate. karate. He wants to learn to defend himself against the bullies. So he goes and sees Mr. Miyagi, right? Remember? And what's Mr. Miyagi do? He puts him to work. 
First thing is he's got to paint the fence. He's going to, no, no, paint up, down, right? Remember? Paint the up and down, right? Remember, get that wrist action. So then he gets the fence, both sides all painted. He's taking rest. What's next? Wax the car. Wax on. He's just doing like that. No, 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 no. Wax on. Wax off. Wax on. Are you auditioning? (laughs) (laughs) No, they've already done the movie twice. That's enough. And then he gets that all done. He's about dying. And then he's going to have him scrub the floor, right? Or sand the floor, scrub the floor, sand the floor. Whatever it is. It's that motion, right? And finally, Danielson gets fed up. He said, I came. All you got me to do is your chores. That's how it seems. Mr. Miyagi's pretty smart, isn't he? I'm doing all the chores, but Danielson's really upset because he came to learn how to fight, how to do the karate. Ah. So then Mr. Maggie says, okay, we fight. And he throws a punch. Remember, Daniel? <laughs> whatever. He says, no, no, paint the fence. And he stops, remember? And all this stuff wasn't just to wax the car, but was to be prepared, right? <laughs> It was being prepared till they finally, you remember at the end of the movie, you know? <laughs> See, Mr. Miyagi wasn't just getting his chores done, although for him it was a nice byproduct. He needed for him to just do it, didn't he? He didn't, don't ask quite, just do because he needed the, the boy to understand that he knew what he was doing. He wasn't doing it for Mr. Miyagi's benefit, he was doing it for his, the boy's benefit, and the boy had to just have unconditional obedience. He had to just trust Mr. Miyagi enough that he was doing what was in his best interest, and that's what happened. Well, that's true for Elijah as well. God did not tell Elijah why Elijah had to move, but Elijah did. He had unconditional obedience. And later, later, Elijah could see the result of that obedience. God wants us, he wants you and me to be unconditionally obedient as well. You know, God has plans for us. God has huge kingdom plans. And you might go, huge plans for Yeah. That might not seem like a huge plan. You know, you might not be the next Billy Graham, the next Mother Teresa. We've already had one of those. It, it, there's not, that's done. And, and maybe it's not to preach to hundreds of thousands or to carry... And what is it, 30,000 people from the streets of Calcutta? Maybe your job is to cook, uh, is to uh, teach Sunday school for the next Billy Graham type person. Who knows? Maybe your job is to welcome the next Mother Teresa into church for the first time, say, hi, we're glad you're here. Those are huge kingdom jobs. God's got huge kingdom work for all of us. Because he's got, and God always works through us. And, and, and God is, the thing is, God is so far out in front of us, we can't even imagine. And he's not going to tell us all that's coming because it would scare us to death. Plus, you don't know the plan he has for you when they're going to intertwine. So there's no way, even if we knew our plan, that it would make sense when it's connected with all the other plans. You see what I'm trying to say here? Our brains can't handle what God handles. So God's not going to give us that far. But the beautiful thing is God can handle it. And God's already out there so we can trust him. I learned this saying a a while back and it's very helpful. I don't have to worry about tomorrow because I know God is already there. 
You can say it with me. I don't have to worry about tomorrow because God is already there. God is already there. And the thing is, sometimes we get so comfortable where we are. We get so comfortable, even if we're in our Kareth ravines, that we don't want to move. And then what happens is that the brook dries up and we're forced out. We're forced to move onto what God has in store for us next. God was preparing Elijah for some, some very special kingdom work, and we'll talk about that more in the next couple of weeks. But in order for that to happen, God had to prepare Elijah to be a man of God. He had to prepare him. And Elijah did become that man that God had in mind. Thanks to the time that he spent in the Carith Ravine, thanks to his total dependence on the Lord, and thanks to his unconditional obedience to what God called him to. About four years ago, um, I was uh, in a pretty bad place. I um, was having trouble with my wife. Our relationship wasn't uh, the best. So I came home one day from work, just as usual. And um, I told her that I really wanted to talk to her that night. And so we sat down and I said, you know, where's this going? What's happening? Uh, you know, it doesn't seem like it's right. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's working. What, which, what can we do? And she basically said, uh, there's nothing we can do. I've pretty much checked out of this relationship. And at that point, um, she left, and she didn't come back. Um, after 11 years of marriage, you don't expect it. And yeah, you might, have, you might not have the best of times, and you might, have, you might be struggling, but you don't expect it to all end and to have to start from scratch and to really find yourself flat out alone and have to really start your life over felt sorry for myself, felt sorry for myself in a big way, um, and, which wasn't positive. It was very negative. It was very, um, you know, I didn't feel like I was going to get out of it. You know, it was, it was one of those deals where you thought, you know, what is, what's life worth if this is what I got to deal with every day? I was, you know, I was taking pills from my back. I was drinking. I was, you know, you know, doing everything I could to get, keep my job and, and do what I had to do, take care of the boys, and at the same time, I felt like I was going worse, in a worse direction. Um, it wasn't getting better, and I wasn't seeing the light at the end of the tunnel. So, um, you know, it, it, was, it was all kind of came to a, to a point where I felt like I was at the bottom, where... Um, I didn't know where I was going to go from from there. Amidst all this uh, chaos, um, I was outside playing with the kids one day. Really, my playing was sitting on the stoop. Um, they were playing. But um, uh, a neighbor of mine, Tim Wilkins, came by. Uh, we stopped by. I, I didn't know what he wanted, but he, he just stopped by to... Um, to say hi, I guess uh, he knew that um, I had gone through this divorce and that, you know, uh, just 
wanted to see if I was okay, and, and we started talking for a little bit, and um, we weren't really friends, but at the same time, we um, we did know each other, and he uh, he told me about what he was up to, and he said that he was attending a Connection Church, and that he was attending a, 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 a course called Alpha, and uh, asked me if I'd like to come, and it was the next night, and you know, looking back on it, I think I told him yes right away just to kind of get him out of my yard, but um, something nudged me to, to go because the next night I did go, and um, from that point on, I, I never looked back. So ultimately, Alpha, um, coming to Alpha um, was the beginning of a new life for me. Um, it, uh, it changed everything. Um, I... Um, I saw myself reborn, and I saw myself, um, and I saw hope. Looking back from there, I can tell you that what I felt prior to that time was um, necessary for me to be prepared to say yes to go to Alpha. I, I believe that God um, put me in that position so that I would be open to say yes. I think um, uh, if I wasn't in such pain, if I wasn't in such a dark place in my life, there's, there's um, probably less of a chance that I would have said yes. Uh, and therefore, um, I truly believe that God was preparing me for the life that he had to offer and um, you know, preparing me to, to do the things I'm doing today. Well, perhaps the brook in your life has dried up. And maybe, just maybe, it's an opportunity that you need for God to speak into your life in a way that you might be able to hear now. A new direction, an opening that God can use to take you to a different place. When I say a different place, I don't necessarily mean a location, a physical location, but how about a new place in your heart? A new understanding of who God is. A new understanding for our need of a Savior. God isn't going to tell you exactly how it goes or what it's going to look like. But God does lead and guide and direct. And when that happens, we have a choice. We have a choice to either go with God, to be obedient, or to ignore. To go with God and be obedient, or to go the other way. I can tell you the other way will eventually be a train wreck because there's only one way to go, and that's to allow God to order our steps. God is always there, (laughs) always there in that place where God wants us to go. God will take us from that place to the next. Mm. Yeah, God's already there. God's already there. In fact, God has been where you are if your brook has dried up. I mean, 
you think about Christ on the cross. Now, that's a, that's a Kareth ravine. That's a dried-up brook if I have ever seen one. Far, far from God. I mean, when he uh, cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is God's own son. I'd say the brook kind of felt like it was dried up, wouldn't you? I'm not sure you can feel much further from God than he did at that moment. And so God has been there and through his son where we have been when the brook dries up. And yet, the thing to remember is that wasn't the end of the story. Remember, that was Thursday, but Sunday was coming. Sunday was coming when Christ overcame the grave, when he came from the dead. He was dead for three days, but he resurrected because the God we serve is a God of resurrection. It's a God of life. It's a God who does bring the rain, who does refill the brook, who gives us water of everlasting life when what we see is a dried up brook in our lives. Sometimes that brook dries up so God can fill it with that water that Christ will bring. God has special work for us to do, for you and for me. In order for that to happen, God needs for us to be men and women of God, to be reformed in his image, to be cut, chopped, molded, so that we can be the people God calls us to be, so we can do the work that God calls us to do. He will take us through that painful isolation. He will take us through being totally dependent on him, and we will need to be unconditionally obedient. And those things will not happen all at once, and sometimes it takes time, and sometimes we've got to be really patient, and we wonder if this thing will ever end. When will we move on? We need to pray. We need to look to God for strength. We need Christ's presence in our lives. But above all, we need to know that even if the stream is dried up, that there's living water coming to refill that stream. That even though it feels like Thursday, Sunday's coming. Even though we feel like God has forsaken us, we know that that God will resurrect what appears dead to us in our lives. And we know this, no matter what direction God calls us to go, he's already there. And it's already prepared, and he's ready for us, ready and waiting. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Holy God, thank you. Thank you for leading. Thank you for taking us to some tough places to prepare us for what you have in store. Please give us the strength and the courage, and please, above all else, please help us to look to your Son, Jesus the Christ. Help us today. I pray for those who are here that don't know Christ as the one to turn to, that they would be on their knees and asking Christ to be into their lives, that they would ask him to be that one that will refill their stream. For those who are uh, know Christ, but we're far from Christ right now at this moment, God, please revitalize. Send your Holy Spirit to remind us of the one who died on the cross. For those who are here, And they know where you're leading, and they're following obediently. I pray for strength day to day. I pray that they will be clothed in righteousness, and they would have the armor on for the day-to-day battles that Satan presents. 
I pray that each one here today will be on their knees, either literally or in their minds as they pray to you during this final song. I pray these steps will be filled. I pray that prayer corner will will lead people there who, who don't know Christ but want to. I pray your Holy Spirit would fill each one here today. It's in Christ and your Holy Spirit we pray. All God's people said, amen. Thank you for taking part in sharing the message for this week. For more information about Connection Community Church, please visit our website at www.connectioncc.org. You can also reach our church offices at 302-378-7692. Connection Community Church, connecting people with Jesus and the life that he offers.